Hello and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by FinPro Search Partners, the executive search form for the insure tech industry on an international basis. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to hear a bit more about our recruitment services, please visit www.wearefinpro.com. I hope you enjoy the episode. Good morning and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance Podcast. Um, I'm your host, Alex Bond, and I'm very lucky today to be joined by Jonathan Rumer, who is both co-founder and head of customer success for ULife. Jonathan, good morning. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Myself, it is it is rather grey and a bit depressing outside, but you know what? England is playing later in the World Cup, so by the time people hear this, we'll know the result, but at this <laughs> moment, we don't yet, so excited for the day. Yeah, well, this is we can prove how dedicated to the cause we are because we're actually going to miss kickoff. So um, that's uh, yeah. Well, it depends. I mean, if we speak really fast and you can slow it down in editing, <laughs> then we can we, we can make the kickoff. The excuse for a, a shorter a shorter podcast than normal, but uh, which is quite a good one. But no, and and actually, I realised I launched in with a good morning because we always launch this in the morning. But for for once, we're we're both on the same time zone, which is quite a rare treat for me. So I I'm enjoying the uh, grey weather that you've just described as well. So um, um, but Jonathan, before we dive in, um, you know we're obviously aware of who you are, but it'd be great to just introduce yourself to um the folks at home and um yeah, and perhaps that you life business. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, very excited to, to, to be here. Um, as you mentioned, my name is Jonathan. I'm one of the co-founders of ULife. And ULife is a global financial services brand on a mission to inspire millions of people to live their best lives. And at the moment, we focus on group risk insurance. So that is B2B insurance, life insurance, and similar products for companies for their staff. Uh, and then what comes with that is the ULife app, which is all about inspiring and rewarding people for, for living their best lives. So for us, we've redefined what insurance is. Historically, insurance has always been about claims compensation. So it's when something goes wrong, you pay out. But for us, we define insurance as being more about risk mitigation, risk partnership. So how do we look after the people who we uh, protect in order to reduce the risk of that bad thing happening? Um, so in the confines of life insurance, that means helping them to live longer and happier lives, which is hopefully a win-win all around. Yeah, lovely, lovely, and what a good uh, what a good mission to be on. So, thank you for um, for that intro. Um, obviously, one of the co-founders. Um, something that we're really conscious of um, is there's five co-founders in in your business. Um, yes, we're we're, we're a, a family. <laughs> family. Well, if you're anything like my family, does that mean you fight quite frequently? <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> um, how do how do you all come together? How do you all know each other? Um, and I suppose uh, we we love a we love an origin story as well. So where does that kind of you life origin story begin with you five? It's 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 a great question, and I think sometimes we we reflect on, on how a bunch of really different people came together at 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 the same time. Really, the origin story of you life starts with Sammy Rubin, our, our our founder, our primary founder, and Sammy's been on a personal journey of. Um, growth and looking after people for many years. He he had his first company in his twenties, and he spent time launching Vitality. He was the 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 original CEO when they launched here in the UK. So he's got a long history in insurance and also well-being, but holistic well-being. Mm-hmm. So he 2015, 2016, as we were kicking off, decided that it was time for the next iteration to really find a way that we can scale insurance and well-being to millions of people, not just make it something that is elitist and also something that was holistic. So not just focusing on on financial, on physical well-being. 
So Sammy set out to find, you know, a bunch of people to, to come along on this mission with him. And slowly, slowly, we, we kind of all came together. There was Sam Fromson, our COO, Josh, our CTO, who I kind of knew from my old KPMG days when he was at Chelsea Apps Factory. Um, and slowly, just Sammy pulled us all together. We were all on our own personal missions with, with things we wanted to prove out. And we're just attracted by the, the vision and the mission um, and each other. And uh, we all came together. And Yaku joined last, who was, it's a great story. He uh, he was at um, one of our VCs that we were pitching to at Anthemus. And he was one of the senior partners there in, in the fund. And mm. when we pitched to them, he kind of sent Sammy a message afterwards saying, I love what you guys are doing. Can I join? So it was very... Um, it was, a, it was just a hell of an interesting experience where the VC you're pitching with turns around and says, I actually really like what you're doing so much that I want to join, mm. uh, which was a fun experience. And they did end up investing, but he, he put himself aside for that so that it, it was obviously conflicted at the time. Um, but yeah, so we came together with this mission to 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 inspire people. Amazing, amazing. I love the fact that sort of, uh, I have this image in my head of somebody just going around collecting people on this journey. It's kind of the... Um, there's something fairy tale about that kind of like 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 let's sort of you know a fable of it all which um i think all all good founding stories are um mm. because you you know we like to be very deliberate and methodical and um you know someone was talking to me about starting a business last week and you know they asked me like i've you know we're on what 120 episodes or something now yeah. we're always talking to founders and i just said it appears to be forward momentum but essentially just stumbling forward <laughs> and and just doing it at slightly enough pace that you don't fall over along yeah. the way um uh, and I think people just come along to support you on that journey so yeah really really interesting to, to hear that um that journey's you know that I mean and that story of inspiration as well you know going to pitch a VC we, we've actually had that a couple of times where you know that's happened um but clearly there was no overriding conflict there because you managed to get the investment from Anthemus as well yeah we did we did it was right they've been an incredible partner for us for for a good few years now yeah yeah and and so let's take it back to the kind of the, the premise of the business as well so provide life insurance but with a main focus on on well-being it, I suppose it's, it's inherently obvious but I wanted to kind of dig into why is like life insurance and well-being so intrinsically linked because it's not been treated that way before um and yeah I, I just wanted to kind of sort of dig into that you know why are they so closely related yeah I mean it's it's a good question and it it really is at the end of the day fundamental to our business but if you think about it um life and death are not binary states in that somebody goes from perfect health to being dead and that's the end of the vast majority of people don't go on on that journey there's a lot of things that people do that can influence their their mortality and morbidity so when they die and how they get there you know how long how many years are there in their life how, how much health do they have as they head towards there because it's not just life insurance it's also the surrounding products income protection critical illness etc mm -hmm. so the question is, what is our job as, as an insurer? And you can look at it black and white as insurers have for many years saying, well, we pay out if something goes wrong. And to be honest, we don't care about what happens in the interim. Um, we'll price for it appropriately. And that's fine. Um, but I think that there's there's two things that are fundamentally uh, missing out if you, if you follow that approach. The first is when you're an insurance company, you look at this purely from the hard numbers perspective. So you insure people. You make a profit if your assumptions are correct and people die when you think they're going to die. 
But obviously it's, it's out of your control because you're writing these premiums or these policies 20, 30 years that, that they can be on your books for. And you have no way of influencing that over 20 mm. or 30 years. So you really are just believing in your actuaries. And I'm an actuary and I can tell you that it's, it's brave to believe on the actuaries, just uh, how, how, <laughs> how sophisticated the pricing should be. So even if you look at purely from a financial perspective, it makes sense that we should find ways to reduce the risk of our, of, of, of our policies, of the things that we're insuring, so that we can make more money. So if you look at it purely from a financial point of view, it actually makes sense for insurers to do that. But more than that, it, it really is just missing out because insurance is a beautiful product and it's there designed to protect people and look after people. And the way that it's currently implemented means that there's almost no positive touch point between an insurer and the people they look after. Because at the start of the policy, the insurer is taking money from you and they're giving you a promise. And that's not great. No one wants to have money taken from you. That's a bad experience. And the only time you generally have the next interaction is either at renewal, where they're asking for even more money from you, which is also a bad experience, or something's gone wrong and you hope the claim gets paid out, but there's still a negative association because something's gone wrong. Mm. So what's that led to over time is that poor engagement's led to lack of trust, which we see nearly seven out of 10 people don't trust their insurer, which is absolutely terrible. So when we look at the opportunity we have to create that positive interaction with people, to create those positive touch points, we can rebuild the trust. We can help people to protect themselves further because they'll actually engage with the insurance. And at the same time as an insurer, we have the ability to manage our book, manage our capital, manage the, manage the risk to be a, a, a better business, both financially and on the impact that we have in the world. So when you look at it, it it's, it's actually it's, it's a total no-brainer from an insurance perspective that you should be doing it. Mm. do you think that's yeah i mean i 100 agree um i was just realizing that i've got this is the perfect timing so i'm going through some absolute head on earth situation with my health insurer at the moment and the one thing it made me think about um without sort of oversharing my story but you know so i i i very modern health insurer here's a virtual gp great go to that and then you have to go and see a physical gp great go to that and then i get my claims form my claims form has to be signed off by an NHS doctor. And, and then it has to, and then we have to go back to all the underwriting. And I was thinking, this is a broken process, you know, and 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 it just kind of reminded me how much we've got to go in, particularly in this space, but just I think in generally. So it made me think that they kind of lost sight of the customer. You know, that's that's what it felt like to me. I was like, you're not looking at this because uh, it kept going, well, this is our process. And I was like, well, the process is bad. And, yeah. and it's bad from a customer perspective. So do you think insurance has culturally lost sight of the customer? Is it, is, do you think that's a fair thing to say? I think, I don't think so. But I think that sometimes the process um, gets in the way. Uh, when I speak to people in the industry, and I do a lot, not just insurtechs and people who, who are trying to make a difference, but people who've been in the industry for 20, 30, 40 years, currently still at big companies, if you ask them what's the most important thing to them, they will all tell you it's the customer. And they all genuinely mean it. But I think that the vast majority of incumbents don't have the ability to, to move past that desire to actually implement something that's different. And a lot of the time it's because over in 20 or 30 years, they, they started with a simple, beautiful claims process, but then people took advantage of it. So they said, oh, okay, now we need to get this extra thing and we need to get this extra thing. And you have this legacy that builds up that almost prevents you from, from doing what you want. Because I genuinely believe that every, almost everyone in the insurance industry wants the best what's for the customers. But 
getting from your desire to want that to actually implementing it is, is I think, virtually impossible for, for most incumbents, just given how much legacy in terms of process technology regulation that they, they you know, the way that they interpret the regulation. So I, I don't think it's a lack of desire. I just think it's a, it's a lack of ability to implement. Yeah, I, th I, th I think I would echo some of the conversations I've had recently about technology stacks in that there was this kind of really arrogant approach of um, insure techs, uh, yeah. earlier stage insure tech, particularly people that were kind of offering kind of software solutions. And and there was a bit of a, there was almost the insinuation that insurance didn't know that there was, you know, gaps in their ability to deliver. Um, and I was like, you know, I said to someone the other day, is if you want to know what's wrong with a tech stack in, a, in an incumbent insurer, go and ask the CTO, because they'll tell you. Um, it's just whether they've got the bandwidth to change it, the kind of ability to change it, because you can't, you can't just hit pause on, you know, the, yeah. the entire operation to make it happen, to make change. Um, but obviously you are in a different situation. You, you, you're sort of in that kind of startup, well, beyond startup stage, but, you know, you are the kind of, you, you had a ground zero to start from. So what, what are you doing differently with regards to customers? Um, you know, is it all just gamification or is there kind of more to it than, than that? So look, everything comes back to our, our mission and we really hold it closely, which is to inspire people to live their best lives. So that is the focus that we look at both the insurance products that we're dealing with and the way that we we help people to reduce their risk and live their best lives. So for us as a B2B company, we, we focus both on the duality of the end individual. So mm -hmm. how does this person do it? But then how does that affect the business and the risk of the business, which is the group of individuals? So I think one of the things that we focused on and, and which has made us a little bit more unique is that we're focusing on helping as many people make small adjustments on, on a daily basis as possible. And it's not, so there's not these big rewards for massively going to the gym or running marathons or doing these things, because that'll, to be honest, that attracts the 20% of people who are, who are already doing those things and you're rewarding people for what they're already doing. So you're rewarding the healthy people and already being healthy. Yeah. But the trick is how do you how do you address everyone else? How do you how do you access those 80% of people who honestly going for a 10-minute walk a day could really move the needle? So I think that's one of the big focuses is how do we make this accessible and fun to as many people as possible? And that's where the gamification comes in because mm -hmm. we know that it works. We know that those game mechanics work. And I think the you know the real goal there is is to get people to do a little bit more. It is the behavior change. And that's both at the individual level and at the company level. So we have incentives and rewards for individuals and we have incentives and rewards for companies when they do it at that level as well. So that it mirrors each other. So that really is the goal. Hmm. Oh, interesting. I, I'm, I'm intrigued to learn a bit more about that. So how does that work from kind of incentivizing company-wide um, and, and it'd be great to sort of understand some examples about kind of how they work versus the kind of individual goals. So the, the individual goals in, in the ULife app is all around the U coin. So this is the currency, digital currency of well-being we've created and you earn them from doing healthy behaviors. So walking, mindfulness, running, cycling, et cetera. Um, you can do challenges in the ULife app that get you more challenges, that get you more rewards. And there's loads of mechanics there that are built in. But the, 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 the core loop is that when you do the positive behavior, you get U coin which you can cash in for rewards at the company level. And this is something that's busy being rolled out now is um, very similar, except when you, when we address the company, it's like, can you get 50 people to go for a walk or can you get 75% of your, your people to create a emoji, which is a character in, in the app because that then unlocks certain parts of the, the financial well-being are in there. 
or why don't you focus this month on mental health and can you get 80% of your audience to do some mindfulness? So it is looking at the collective side and as they do those challenges, then they earn credit in the use store, which gets reinvested into well-being. So that the credit in the use store can be used to, to get new digital well-being tools that they can roll out to their staff. So it could be mindfulness tools. It could be things to help with menopause. And that what that does is it creates this beautiful loop. So as the company gets healthier, they they earn more rewards. The rewards get reinvested in, into more well-being, which gives people the ability to, to improve further, which then lets them earn more rewards, et cetera. And at the same time, then the, the risk at the individual and the group level comes down which is good for us as the, the insurer. And obviously a win-win for people if they're happier, healthy, living longer lives and the company is more productive. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I can see that being more effective on a, a sort of company-wide. I mean, funnily enough, we, we as a company were having a conversation on, on the Friday just saying, we're all talking about going to yoga, but we're not going to yoga, but then we've agreed that we'll go together because it's we're, we then become accountable to each other. Um, you know, and I think there's something clearly in that for us. But um, I was wondering about, like, in terms of results from that, what have you seen? Have there been any things that surprised you? Are there any trends in that that have, has anything taken off that you thought, oh, we didn't we didn't know how that was going to go, but people have really embraced it? Um, yeah, I'm sort of interested by that. Yeah, definitely. I think with a, with a lot of these things, like you, you make your best guess as to what's going to what you think is going to work, and then you learn. Some of it works, some of it doesn't, some of it really surprises you. So I think, on the whole, the one of the things you were speaking about just now is is something which we see a lot is that accountability or cooperation, competition is how do you make it social? Because well being often can be a, a lonely thing. You're doing it on your own. Um, but when you create the tools to then hold people accountable or, co or, or to compete, you can have jewels, for example, or we've got leaderboards, it really does up the ante. But I think the, the thing that surprised me most is actually on the rewards and how people use the rewards. So in the reward store, we have effectively three different categories of rewards. We've got stuff that's just for you. So you can get an Amazon voucher, Nike voucher, et cetera, et cetera. And that, those aren't discounts. Those are those are monetary value. You can switch your Ucoin for, for those things. We've also got access to well-being, to big discounts and things like Garmin, um, Fitbit, uh, Metatopia. So lots of different tools where you can get discounts to, to, to access that well-being. And then the third category is ESG. So we've got partners in there which are great for the world. So you can have an impact. And this was something that personally surprised me is just how high the proportion of people are that use all of their Ucoin or nearly all of the Ucoin to to make an impact on the world for the ESG stuff. So for example, we have a lot of people now who converting their steps into trees, into plant, planting trees or their mindfulness into having the oceans cleaned with one of our partners who is removing plastic from the ocean. So it was absolutely blew me away that people's motivation, a lot of people's motivation was not for themselves to get the Amazon vouchers, but to have a positive impact. And I, I don't know, I think that probably says something about me that I, I didn't think that was being, you know, would be as, as as um, popular as it has been but i think it's one of those things that when when we show people how genuine we are with our, our mission it comes across and then people just you know they really uh, adopt it mm, interesting is that i wonder if that's generational as well because I, I i think selfishly i'm thinking would i do that even though it's you know this is sort of thing that i sort of pertain to be important it's the reason i stopped eating meat for example um but um i still so, love an amazon I love an Amazon voucher, you know. <laughs> it's, 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 it isn't generational from the data that we see is that it, it does actually attract a lot of different people. And I think in some ways, it, 
it reinvigorated. So when we started to push out the ESG, we had quite a few people who were, they enjoyed the ULife app, they used it, but they, they actually just hoarded their Ucoin. And I spoke to one of the guys and I said, like, you've got this big balance. You've, you've built up 100, 200 pounds worth of Ucoin here. Like, why, why haven't you cashed it out? He's like, I, you know what, it's, it's, it's fine. Like, it'll, it'll just sit there. There's nothing, I don't need the Amazon voucher or anything right now. I'll, I'll like get there. And then when we introduced the trees and the ability for people to plant trees, use the entire balance immediately. It's like, this has reinvigorated my usage of the app. I'm going to go for walks now because I want to plant trees. So it was just fascinating that it really engaged different people. And I think similarly to that with, so one of the things that surprised me initially with the data when we're looking at it, and this is, this is something that's been sustained over the last few years, is the age group of people who really engage in the app. So when we first started, we had a lot of pushback from firms saying, yeah, this is, um, this is going to be amazing. I can see that all of my young staff, people in their 20s and 30s are going to love this. Everyone else is not really going to care. Mm. And we didn't have an answer to that in the beginning because we didn't have the data. And then as we started to see the usage, and now we've got tens of thousands of people using it every day, we see the usage. And what we see is, is, is that that doesn't actually hold up at all. There's, if anything, there's kind of a, like a slightly flat U, U-shaped curve. So people in their, in their 30s do use it a hell of a lot, in their, in their late 20s a lot. They engage in the technology. But what we find is that as people get into their 40s, it actually comes down a little. Um, and then as his people in their 50s, 55, 60 even, we have, see a massive spike in engagement on the app, massive in terms of the, 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 the usage. Um, and in fact, some of the, the people 55 plus are, are our biggest power users, both mindfulness and walking. And it was fascinating, totally unexpected for me. But when you dig into it, it actually makes a lot of sense because you find that people in their 20s and 30s at the moment, much more technologically savvy, the gamification appeals to them, they really use it. But as you get into your 40s, I'm about to turn 40. So, so now I feel this. You're very focused on your career and you really want to make a difference. You want to climb that ladder. You want you, you focus very much on, on the work and what you need to accomplish at the expense of your well-being. So you stop doing these things. And then as people tend to hit 50, 55, the mortality, you start to feel the aches and pains more. And I'll hopefully I won't know that in 10 or 15 years, because I will have looked after myself. But it's very common that people start to go, ah, okay, I actually need to start looking after myself. And then they have the ULife app, which is there at their, at their fingertips, and it provides them that ability to do it in an easy way. So we see a big spike after afterwards. So we kind of had this like flattish U-shaped curve uh, that was very unexpected as well. Interesting. That's really interesting. But I can see that plays out. It makes it make, makes yeah. perfect sense. Um, I wanted to talk to you about... Um, you know, culture, because obviously everything we're talking really touches on culture and, and whether that be you being a mission driven organization or talking about, you know, what people are spending their credit on, et cetera. But, you know, what sort of measures do you think like fast growing companies need to put in place yeah. in order to succeed when it comes to workplace culture? Because particularly as they scale, yeah, I'm intrigued selfishly from my perspective. It's like I've been talking about that a lot at the moment, but I think. It's, it's a great question. And I think we we are very fortunate to have a fantastic culture. And it's it's something that we work on all of the time. It doesn't just happen by, by accident. And again, a lot of it comes down to, to Sammy and the way that he started the business and his pure desire for, for, for the mission. So the mission is what we do. We also then have a set of values, which is how we do it. Because what you do is important, but how you do it is probably more important. So our, our values are summarized in something called love being you. And then we have three under each of those, those pillars. And, and they, 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 they really represent us. Uh, for me, the one that speaks to me most is the final one, which is build the world that you want to live in. But there's a lot there about being open, being grateful, um, giving more than we take. And it 
really is something that we focus on often. Um, so the values come out. So when we have difficult decisions to make, are we making? We will look and say, are we making this decision in line with our in our in our values? Um, and that's not always easy. So I mean, we've had incidences where we've had staff who are doing phenomenally well, but they aren't living up to our values, and we've had to ask them to leave. And it's not it's not easy, and it's not it's not obvious. But you have to do that. And it's when you make those difficult decisions in line with the value that everybody sees that it's more than just you know a, a poster on on the wall. It is something we really do. But there are practical things that we do that I think can really help with with keeping it going. And um, a few things. So number one, in we have a quite a long drawn out interview process and that's by design. So pretty quickly we'll assess people's technical ability, but there'll still be several interviews afterwards, which are very much designed to understand if the person is a fit, are they a life or not? Mm -hmm. um, do we always get it right? No, but I think we do better than not. The final interview will always be with, with, with one of the founders, generally Josh or Sam as now, cause they'll like hold that in mind is, is, is this person right for the business? Because the hiring manager is always going to be biased to say yes to the person because they have a need that needs to be filled. So by having someone who's not the hiring manager do the final interview to have that final stop, then you can have someone saying, I know that there's a need for this, but is this person going to add or detract from the business at the cultural level? So that's very important. Right. We also yes. very, very on ritual. So we have two rituals every week that I think are very important. Monday morning kickoff, so at all hands kickoff. Um, nothing too um, unique about that, but I think what makes it unique is that the kickoff is not focused on the results. It's not focused on, on you know, KPIs or what we want to achieve this week. It's, it's a reiteration of the mission and the values. So Sammy speaks almost every Monday morning, and it's about who are we as a business? Why are what, we, is what, why are what we're doing is important? And how does what's going on in the world fit within our values? So it's a 10 or 15 minutes reiteration of why we're here every Monday morning. Mm -hmm. Thursday afternoons, we have an all hands again. And this one's a lot more fun. Um, there's shout outs. So it's about it's a focus on gratitude. How do we thank those around us who've, who've had an impact? And then we talk about the company news and the strategy a little bit. But those two sessions every week are, are very much to, to reinstate why we're here and have gratitude for everyone that's around us. And I think that those are very important for us and have really helped us to bring everyone together in terms of the the, the culture and um, why we hear why it's important and and to keep it going yeah nice i like that um yeah that speaks to me quite a lot as well i think i think from our perspective it's something that we've talked about a lot in uh, you know i started my own company because i didn't like some of the values that i saw in other businesses that i'd yeah, worked yeah. in um and and but the sort of temptation uh, is so yeah it's always really present there so having that kind of founder kind of come in that doesn't necessarily have that immediate needs really important for the hiring process but also that kind of gratitude piece um yeah on a thursday i might i might pinch that <laughs> so the, the way that we do it is we've set up a little thing on slack where you can click the button and you can submit a shout out and it's all totally anonymous yeah. so you get there and then they find some of them are silly some of them are fun some are very heartfelt um, and then part of the team, when they put together the deck for the Thursday, they'll they'll put in some gifts as well, just to bring them to life. And yeah, it's, it's just it's just a lot of fun. Yeah, nice, nice. I like that. I like that a great deal. Um, uh, conscious of time, um, so I'll um, I've got I've got a couple more questions. That I think okay. um, I was going to ask you uh, a question that we well, you know the answer to. I was going to say, 
do you consider insurance a social good or is it something we as an industry tell ourselves but um, I'm pretty confident that you see it as a social good <laughs> I think it's it's really it's, insurance is a beautiful product it really is I, I'm very passionate about this and it's it's a pity that people don't see it that way it's yes it's a social good but it, but it's 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 an economic good it's a financial good and it really is incumbent upon us as the as the insurance industry to 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 get there it really really is we have the we have more incentive to look after people than anybody else financial incentive mm. use it let's do that good and, and don't even focus on the social good focus on being a good insurance company B reduce your risk manage your capital and then the the, the the side effect is that people are going to be better you know the the risks will come down the adverse effects will come down and you have this incredible societal benefit, even if people focus purely on the capitalistic aspects of wanting to be a better insurance company, as they should. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's an interesting dynamic of that, isn't there, that I think we can we can get wrapped up in the trying to deliver on a kind of macro level uh, mm. and be part of some macro level solution. But I think you're absolutely correct. I mean, I think, you know, if every business just focused on being the best business they, they could be, the, the, the you know, net result is... You know, at, at the very least, happier customers, and they just have that one joyful experience of the day of dealing with your company, where that would be great. Um, I wanted to talk to you about your team. You know, yep. you've scaled very quickly. Um, you're a fast-growing business. You've got a relatively young team. Um, it's been a difficult time as well for people, kind of. Um, and I know you, you, you as a team had made steps to kind of help them out in the cost of living crisis. So I wanted to dig into that because that's so part of your values as well. So what steps have you taken to kind of help them deal with that? So, I mean, there's two, there's two aspects to that. Number one is our customers and number two is our employees and, 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 and the staff. You know, for our customers, it's very much focusing on how the ULife product and app can help them. And there's, lo there's lots of ways to do that with d discounts for groceries, earning more Ucoin, et cetera, um, providing access to, to um, content to, to learn um, and tools to do whatever it is to just to improve the situation for employees and for for us as a company we've, we've taken a far more individual approach we haven't done anything across the board we haven't made any major adjustments to, to things like salary or, or cost of living adjustments it's very much on an individual basis and trying to to understand each person who who, who contributes to the business and make sure that that they're okay mm -hmm. um, and I, you know for right or wrong that's the approach we've gone down and um, we'll focus on individuals Mm -hmm. yeah but it's important isn't it it's, yeah. you, know, you can get this homogenous team thing and, and then it kind of ignores the individual and, and I think that's 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 key um you know what's sort of goals initiatives what are the things that you're really focused on when you're trying to scale a team uh is it just come back to does everything come back to the customer is that the lens that you view everything from or or, or the kind of specific metrics that we look at the customer is at the center of what we do with our question, but you know we we do look at a whole range of metrics when we're trying to to hire, when we're trying to to, to grow the business. Um, we do fundamentally believe that if we look after customers, everything else will will look after itself. But we have to find the best way of doing that because it's not always obvious, and people always don't often know what's best for for them. And we have to learn and we have to kind of grow with people to find out what what works best. Mm -hmm. So it very much is a, a combination of making sure that um, people are engaging so that people are having a good experience, uh, but that there are those financial and protection outcomes that are coming as well. So you do have to look at things holistically. We still want employees who are performing and doing great, not only giving good customer experience, but also helping the business to grow. Um, so we, yeah, we focus both on the hard and, and the soft metrics. 
sure sure and and finally you know we're we're speaking in the you know uh, in the tail end of 2022 it's been an exciting year for you guys you raised a lot of money in july uh, 120 million dollars in the C, I think and um you know what's what's 2023 got in store is it kind of broadening of services or geographic reach or what what, what what's the kind of overarching themes for next year Great, thank you. So we've got a, we've got a, a few themes. I think the two that are, are most exciting are kind of things you touched on there. Number one is is geographical reach, international expansion. So we're going to be launching in both South Africa and the US in Q1 next year. So it's super exciting in in opening these new markets and taking what we do from the UK around the world. So we're very excited about that. Um, and we're also looking at product expansion. So we're moving more in towards things like dental insurance and private medical. Um, and we're going to keep that a, a bit tight at the moment. Now we're not going to all of a sudden be offering 50 or 60 different products. We want we want to grow with that, grow with the people who we look after and find the, the products that are most appropriate to them and that is the highest demand for. So the definite focus on just keeping, keeping it going in the UK, massive growth here, international growth, and then uh, trying out some new insurance products as well. But uh, try and keep the focus tight next year. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, look, that's so exciting. Um, Jonathan, I know you're super busy and thank you so much for uh, taking the time out to be a guest. We've wanted to do this a long time and uh, not least because as we mentioned, we live around the corner from the U Life office. So so we, we see it every day. It was it would have been quite galling if we couldn't get you on the podcast. So. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, exactly. Well, ne next time we'll have to do a, a live recording in, in the office, which we call the universe. So that'd yeah. be awesome. Oh, nice. Yeah, that would be lovely. Um, Jonathan, thank you so much. Uh, really thank you. Time. Um, and thank you for being a guest. I appreciate it. Any pleasure. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you so much for listening to the Leadership and Insurance podcast. As ever, this is brought to you by FinPro Search Partners, the executive search firm for the insure tech industry on an international basis. If you want to find out more about what we do from a recruitment standpoint, please visit www.wearefinpro.com. 